Hello to everybody who loves a good Momo. It's beautiful, anonymous. One hour, one phone call. No names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to Beautiful Anonymous. I just want to take a second to uh, thank everybody who checked out the first episode of the Beautiful Anonymous TV version. It's at topic.com. You can watch the first episode for free. And it was pretty exciting to put it out. A lot of you all out there listening went out of your way to say kind things. Even before it was up for viewing, when I started posting that it was coming, people were really going, this is so exciting. A lot of people going, hey, I haven't listened to the show in a while, but this is going to make me come back because it's, it's really cool. And I just want to say that it, it is many, many things in my career have been unlikely. And over and over again, it's because communities of people get behind them that they manage to get a little further than anyone expects. And look, this is an audio medium where I'm talking with another human being and they're not even here. This is not the description of something that someone should take a chance on a TV version of, but we got to do that. And and I say we, not just me, because so many people have been from the very beginning with this show, really kind and passionate about it and really welcoming to people who have found it along the way, inviting them to share that. And I've just been perpetually so surprised and flattered and feel so lucky that this community has formed. And you guys are the ones who got that there. They they reached out. I wasn't going around pitching this thing. They came to us and that's because of you guys. And thank you. And I really hope you enjoyed the show. Okay. This week's call is a beautiful heartbreaker is how I would term it. This caller has effectively lived two lives. A reset button was pushed in a big way in the course of of his life. He's a, he's a widower. He had a life. That life was massively readjusted due to tragedy. And now he's rebuilding in the aftermath of that. And it it is, it's really heartbreaking. But I tell you what, it's also so beautiful to hear about how the caller thinks about his current partner, the way that he still thinks about his deceased partner, uh, the way that the memory of someone can coexist with a, a present and a future. Really beautiful stuff in a way. And I'm certainly not trying to discount the tragedy. My love goes to the caller, but the caller also is just so eloquent and thoughtful in describing the many aspects of this. And I really think a lot of people might get a lot out of this call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hi. How are you? Chris? Yeah. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. I got my headphones in and they're new, so I don't know if you're actually the first call that I'm making with these headphones. Oh, wow. I'm so I don't know if they make the conversation better or worse. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you something. Your audio is actually probably amongst the very top tier of audio quality in the history of this show. So you're crushing it. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's, that's, that's a good start, stuff. I guess. Yeah. It's, it's a big time accolade. <laughs> you should be flattered. Pleased. <laughs> you're setting an example. Yeah, I'm only, I can only imagine how um, you need to endure calling people and having uh, bad connections for an <laughs> I, hour. And just... I wouldn't say endure. It's funny. In the early days of the show, before we figured it out, it's part of why we do some some very like call screening. We tweet out the number because um, it's not just about going like, hey, well, so what story? Because you get about like 30 seconds of that. It's also like so... You know, we used to get some calls where it was like, are you standing under a highway overpass during a storm? <laughs> like, what is going on? And uh, and it, it turns out yeah. that we can screen for quality a little bit. So that's good. Yeah, that's better, I suppose. So what's up? I'm kind of excited. Oh, yeah? What are you, what are you excited about? Uh, tomorrow, 
will be um, the first holiday that I have with my wife. Oh wow! Since our our son was born. Ah. Um, yeah, first time we're both spending a night out out outside the house, and he's on his own. Well, not on his own with his grandma, but you know. yeah. Oh, that's cute. How old <laughs> is he? How old is he? Uh, today is a year and nine months. A year and nine months. Oh, so he's about two years older than my son, or two months rather. No, two months, old, two months older two months. than my son. Two, yeah. Two. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah wow. It's actually been kind of a, a one of the nicer parts of listening to the podcast recently, just <laughs> empathizing with you for everything. Yeah, I would have to imagine. I, I wonder if we're scooping up some young dads as new listeners. Hey, if you got if you guys are out there and you got new dads in your life, let them know that this podcast is increasingly becoming something that applies. Um, yeah, yeah. But do you still do you still feel like a new dad though? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Do you not? Oh, of course. But you know, I wonder if if that's just me or like other people get used to it faster and like oh yeah sure well it's because i'm sure you'd agree it's there's still about two things a week where i'm going what is the okay this is i have to adjust (laughs) around this now i haven't seen this before and yeah as he's becoming more and more with it and he's getting more words and you can see that yeah now now he's starting to link words together into these tiny mini sentences and i'm like yes how and and now He's also at a point where uh, you probably dealt with this two months ago where it used to be you'd take something away from him and he'd go, okay, cool. What's the next thing I can grab? And he's just realized like, wait, no, I wasn't done with that. Give that yeah, back. I, I need that. Yeah. I need that. Oh, and you know what he's doing? All, all the pacifier uh, battles. See, see he luckily like never the... took to the pacifier. So we don't have to take the pacifier. Mm-hmm. We got lucky on that. But he's doing this thing lately where he will take a toy and more often than not it's this plastic tiger that he loves and it's adorable (laughs) he will take this thing and then obviously as you know he'll just fling it somewhere or hide it somewhere and then he will walk up to me and go tiger tiger (laughs) tiger 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 (laughs) tiger tiger yeah and say it i'm not kidding 90 minutes straight he'll just keep repeating the word tiger until Definitely. i find the goddamn tiger and i'm i'm sitting there trying to reason with him going you put it somewhere it lives on a shelf and you demand we take it down and then you did where is it and i'm i'm on my they hands, have object permanency at that point oh, so he's like he knows it, it's not gone away and he yes. probably knows where it is oh my god he put it there yeah well we're in it together my friend we're in it together. Yeah. That's, so, you, um, if I may, yeah. I'm doing some math. You're saying this is the first holiday you're spending with your wife and your son, but your son was no without my son. Oh, without your son. So, what's going on there? That's the exciting part. Oh, that's exciting, not heartbreaking. Yeah. Also, I mean, I'm I already miss him. He's in he's in the other room. I can hear him playing with my wife. Mm-hmm. And I already miss him in advance of, you know, not being with him tomorrow and imagining spending the night without him and waking up the next day at whatever hour I want and just staying in bed. And yeah. that's amazing. I mean, that's... Oh, my God. It's... <laughs> that's, that's incredible. But at the same time, it's... But it won't be with him. Wait, I don't know. So, wait, why... Okay, a couple questions. One, tomorrow's yeah. December fourth. So is that a ho- um, is that a holiday? I thought you were talking about the the traditional holiday season. So you're talking specifically no. about tomorrow or da- a couple weeks from yeah. now? You also will be away. No, no, we don't really celebrate that here as much. Uh, well, we have other holidays, another holiday that you know about pretty well, I suppose. Uh, I'm I'm from Israel. So, uh, okay, that explains some things. That ex- so there's, yeah. so there's other holidays. We're big on Hanukkah. Got it. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is the, I mean, like Hanukkah. If, if you know, the states are also pretty big on Hanukkah. It helps that there's another country mm-hmm. that, you know, but you have different Hanukkah. 
Like you have a lot of different stuff for Hanukkah than we have. Some like traditions and stuff. I, I mean, you probably know that dreidel dreidel song. Uh-huh. Dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. I made you out of clay. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So we, we don't have that. I mean, we have songs in Hebrew, like a, two million songs for Hanukkah. Because it's like, um, you, you have to compete with Christmas somehow. Right. And Christmas is and, less, of, feel, less of a factor in Israel, I'd imagine. It, it, well, it depends who you are, I guess. There are mm-hmm. people who celebrate it. There, there's Christians here. There's um, even non-Christians that come from Christian countries. Right. Like right. there's a big uh, Russian diaspora that emigrated, that you know, lived in Russia and came to Israel around the 90s. And it's a big deal. Well, not Christmas. Actually, I think about New Year's. Mm-hmm. New Year's is mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's different. <sighs> yeah, because I went to. I grew up in one. I, I've always heard that my hometown, West Orange, New Jersey, one of the more diverse towns uh, you can mm-hmm. grow up in anywhere in the states is is what I've always heard, and that was even true back in the '90s for me. And my elementary school, in particular. Uh, was in a part of town where I went to school with a lot of Jewish kids. And the sense that I always got, even when we were kids, they would kind of say that <laughs> in the States, Hanukkah, it, it, it really gets kind of blown out because all the Christian kids, all the Catholic kids in my town, and you don't want the Jewish kids feeling like left out and sad. But I've always been understanding that, in, and tell me if I'm wrong, that in the Jewish faith, Hanukkah's not as like we think i think i think non-jewish people grow up thinking it's like the big holiday in the jewish faith but i hear it's it's not top tier from what i hear actually faith-wise faith-wise no it's it's a late edition probably when we you know christianity caught caught up with us and and you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. and passed us around the bend and like okay bye-bye judaism we're uh we're we're leaving the the race right now and like okay so how do we how do we get an edge? Um, but it's not very, it's not a, a specific, not very religious as a holiday. Yeah. It's more, yeah. what's the word I'm looking for? More ethnic, I guess. And it's not, listen, it's not even in the same league as your Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Not even close. No, religiously, no, no. Yeah. Not even close. And I've, but it's, it's like, oh no, it's like it's what? It's fun. Yeah, it's a good time. Gifts yeah. for eight yeah, days. Sign me up. It's a light candle. Sign well, me up. Well, that's that's another thing. We don't do that here. What? That's like the whole thing no. here. No, you don't get gifts for Hanukkah. Well, you get some gifts when you're a kid, and it's not for eight days. That's definitely so. <laughs> Maybe one nice small gift. That's just American. That's just American. Look, yeah. most of these kids are getting showered with gifts on December twenty fifth. So, consumerism, capitalism. We don't want our kids feeling <laughs> totally left out. So, you get gifts for eight days. No. Yeah, we, these, we don't need that. These Christians get a tidal wave of gifts on one day. So, <laughs> listen, we're gonna spread ours out over eight. So we days, need to spread it out, yeah. and we'll have our own cool thing where the Christian kids are like, "I want gifts for eight days." keep everything in the mix. So it's just sort of something that's more quietly observed. And and I would imagine the menorah, the candles still a factor or no? Yeah, that's that's the nicer thing. Like yeah. the family gathers together and we light it up and, and sing songs together. I actually I, I celebrated Hanukkah what five years ago? Four years ago in uh in Nepal. Oh and I was the only well yeah, where I was specifically at the time was the only Jewish guy. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend uh, make me a menorah Ooh. from uh, bamboo. That sounds awesome. And I was sitting around a campfire and I lit up the candles and sang like the blessings in the song and everything. And I was surrounded by like Americans and, and British people and uh uh, Russians and this uh, Spanish girl and Italian girl, whatever, and, and a lot of Nepalis. And they're all just sitting there and watching me light the candles and sing songs in Hebrew. 
<laughs> it was pretty awesome, actually. Now, I got to say something, just a little tangent. I lived in Jackson Heights for many years. People have heard me talk about this on the show. It will always hold a piece of my heart. And there's a huge Nepali population in Jackson Heights. Mm. My understanding is that um, it's where Sherpas go to retire, that there's a big influence there. Wow, and really? I have a fascination with Nepali culture. If you don't know about the Gurkhas, they're like the most badass people on, yeah, the, yeah. on the planet. Wow. If you have not heard of the Gurkhas and you're out there, Google Gurkhas <laughs> and you will read the most amazing. And look, it's, 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 these are soldiers. These are stories of war. So I'm not trying to glorify yeah. war. I don't like war, but if you want to, and, and if you watch documentaries on the Gurkhas, they're like the sweetest, nicest people you ever see. And they start as just these very sort of well-mannered teenage kids. And then you read stories about how they will, over throughout history, it'll be like, oh, one Gurkha with a sword managed to kill 85 Germans who all had machine guns and horses. And you're like, what? What's up with the Gurkhas? But also <laughs> Nepali I, I hope I'm not misremembering, but I think they carry their ceremonial knives or swords with them at all times. Yeah, I've like heard that they too. Never, they never put them aside because they're, well, they're attached to them. And they're now a division. The story, I believe, is that they once fought the British military and the British military won, but that the Gurkhas put them through such hell that they said, we got to work together. And ever since then, there's been a division of Gurkhas in the British military, and it's a high honor. And that young Nepalese men uh, train their whole lives to try to become a Gurkha, and it's very exclusive. And there's actually a popular phrase out there that says... Um, if you ever meet a man who says he's not afraid of dying, he's either a liar or a Gurkha. Wow, that's badass. And I read another story about them that in Australia, in <laughs> World War II, there were all these soldiers sent out on training missions um, against a Gurkha battalion, and they never found them, and engaged with them and they all came back at the time they're supposed to. And they were like, they never even, we never saw them. This was really a boring waste of time. And then their commander said, we want all of you to look down at your boots. And they all had chalk markings on their boots and they all no. go, what are these? And they go, well, that's where the Gurkhas managed to sneak up on you and mark you without you even noticing. And in a war, they would have killed you instead. So all of you died in that exercise and you never even saw the Gurkhas. It's Gurkhas. Plus, Nepal's got momos. Oh my God, I love momos. Dumplings. They are the best. I mean, you know, every culture, that's, that's another amazing thing that almost every culture in the world, separate from each other, has a kind of dumpling. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, like you, yeah. you can't think of a, a single nation doesn't have a, a specific dumpling that. But momos are at the top, I think. I'm loving momos. There's Probably all these momo top. trucks all over Jackson Heights. You get the momos. Really? With oh the spicy sauce and the white sauce. You mix them together. You eat your momos right out of the truck. Ooh, I love a momo. A momo and a pierogi. Those are two of my favorite dumplings. <laughs> yeah. Man. They're, yeah. Oh, there's also like these Jewish dumplings that... Um, Wow, can't even remember the name. Oh, you They're like a, a, a childhood food for me. You, when you like remember, more, the name? more nostalgic than, than tasty. Okay. Oh well, man, I mean, you're no. not selling the sizzle on these. On these dumplings, no, they're um, they're they're not at you know momo or or pierogi level. They're not momos. Okay, now I'm we're very distracted. I'm glad we got to talk about the Gurkhas. Legitimately, I've <laughs> I've done so. I, I think people realize uh, if you've listened to the show that I obsess over things sometimes, and the Gurkhas are. I I would say about twice a year I go on a binge where I just go and read a ton of stuff or watch a ton of stuff on the Gurkhas. And there, it's the best. Now, I want to get back on track, though. Why are you not spending the holidays with your family? Well, it's not the, the holidays. It's just this weekend, just this one night. This weekend, got it. So, uh, yeah. So what's actually going on? to be honest? Yeah. Uh, in two weeks, we are spending two nights with my wife's family. So we're definitely spending the holidays with them. Mm -hmm. Good. Okay. Um, I've heard a number of yeah. things incorrectly. I apologize. No, it's it's it's. Great. I mean, holiday is a. Uh, I, I can see how that would connect. My, my English is 
okay, I guess, but maybe not. Not all the not all the context is is there. Oh, no. Being not American and not having all, all the no, you're crushing it. So, what's uh, you're already missing your kid. Is it work stuff? I've had to go uh, away for work stuff a couple times. Well, no, just you know, one night away with my wife, probably just, oh, just you know, a date. Tend, tending to our relationship that I'm sure, as you know, mm-hmm. is one of the things that gets hits hardest when you get a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we just went on our first date together since February. Um, <laughs> and it was at three well, in that's the afternoon. Corona. Yeah, that's Corona. And uh, my parents were able to, we, we, you know, we... Everybody stayed safe and distant and quarantined. And then my parents came and stayed with us for a couple of days. And we went on a date at 3 p.m. And it was like <laughs> from 3 to 5 p.m. And it felt like heaven. It, it is. It is just having time for yourself. Kids How are great. You- they are great. But oh. they take away part of your life. Oh, absolutely. They own yeah. you. They own your time, your effort, your energy. I've aged 10 years and 19 months. I look at myself when I smile and I just see my whole face is now just lines, just laugh lines and crow's feet. Although I sometimes go, it's okay. I have all my, I have laugh lines when I'm 40 and that's, that's a little, that's a little bit of a bummer, but it just is because I've laughed so much. I've laughed so much. So that's a good thing. Now, how- I have an interesting question. Sure. Oh, sorry. Oh, no. I love an I mean, interesting I mean, question. Ma- maybe you're the one who's supposed to ask questions. <laughs> no, right? we'll just let it go where it wants to go. <laughs> we'll talk about yeah. Jewish holidays. We'll talk about Gurkhas. <laughs> Let's just keep following this one. Because about, I, I, I've been thinking about being, um, starting this when I'm older. I'm 37. Mm-hmm. And it took a while to get here. And just thinking about, you know, being a dad at this age and and starting it and maybe wanting to have more kids and what age I'll be when when they come around and it, it's it's inevitable. It's nothing that you know, not like I, it could have happened earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But still, it's it, I guess it's different, right? It's a different experience because I look around and I see all these younger parents around me. Yeah. Not like they have more energy. Maybe they have more energy. I don't know. No, I, th- I, I, mean, I think probably I think it's a different experience. Well, yeah, and and it's <laughs> the another because I was thirty nine when Cal was born, and it's I, I know exactly what you're saying. I sit here and I do the math, and I go, okay, retirement. This kid's gonna be graduating college. I'm gonna be two years away from retirement. I'm not gonna yeah. have much of that end of life time where you're supposed to relax and travel and stuff and. Like you said, all the parents were around are 10 years younger than us. And I'm like, I feel like that. It is a weird thing. And uh, yeah, it's uh, we're lucky in our neighborhood. There's a couple that has a six-year-old, but all their other kids are in their early 20s. So they're, they're for different yeah. reasons, in a similar boat of being the older parents with hanging out with the younger kids. So it is, it's a little head spinning. <laughs> It's a little heads. And and now knowing how beautiful it is, I do wish I started earlier. I mean, my life circumstances were not, they didn't lend themselves to it, but I go, ah, I would just wish I had yeah. more time to do this. I'm going to have less time yeah, on earth. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I was, I was ready for a long time. Why'd you really long time? Why didn't you go for it then? Well, I've been married before. Um, I actually met my first wife when I was serving in the army. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a medic and, and she was also a medic and she came like replaced me. So we had like a few months together and then we found a connection and uh, started. I don't know if you can call it dating because when you meet at work and yeah. work is military service, and you're stuck in the same outpost together for days on end. It's not like you're dating. You get to know each other, and then you're together. Um, so we started out young, and we got, I guess, like 
seven years together. No, more like ten, we were 10 years together when we got, no, sorry, eight years when we got married. Um, and around six months after we got married, she started having um, like numbness in her left leg or right. Oh, I can't, can't believe I, I can't remember. That's <laughs> horrible and awesome. Um, so she had this numbness in her one of her legs. I think it was the right leg. And then it started growing and spreading and then it became like this pain. Oh, no. And for six months, we had no idea what was going on. It was really distressing. Until finally, like in this random CAT scan, um, they saw she had a tumor um, somewhere in her waist. Um, and she got diagnosed with cervical cancer. I think everybody probably... Needs to take a breath, process that. This call's gone in many directions, and now it's gotten clearly a little more serious. So we're going to take a break. We're going to dive into that serious stuff when we get back. Thanks to the advertisers who allowed this show to happen. Now let's get back to the phone call. And she got diagnosed with cervical cancer. Oh, no. I think it's cervical. I can't remember the word in English, but let's say it's cervical. It doesn't really yeah, matter. No, that is that is a type <laughs> of cancer that we, uh, yeah, we refer to it as the same thing, I believe. Yeah. Anyway, um, so we, we spent like a year and a half facing that and trying our best. And that was right at the point, like six months after we got married, we were were really starting talking about having kids and she wasn't really ready. And I was, I was there. Like, I remember I I told myself at one point when I was younger, I'll have my first child when I'm 28. That's the perfect age. You're not too young. You're not too inexperienced. You've lived your life and probably got career started and maybe some stability. But you're also not that old, like like I feel right now. And, um, you know, you still got some uh, spring in your step to, to be with the kid and, and, you know, be young with him. Uh, and right around that time, that's when she got sick. Um, so we spent like a year and a half trying, I guess, everything that we could. Uh, until uh, Until it was too much. Um, and her body just couldn't cope with, uh, well, not with the cancer itself. Cause that's, that's the thing I think most people don't, who haven't been through that don't know about cancer. The cancer is a tricky bastard. It, most of the time it doesn't kill you itself. It's not like, um, you don't die from cancer. You die from complications or from damages or from like from treatment sometimes also uh it's the cause it's the root cause but it's it doesn't do the the dirty work itself just messes things up um so uh, yeah so we said goodbye um probably not probably definitely the hardest thing i've done in my life uh, the conversation that I had with her like two nights before she passed away um, where I, I just, you know, we were sitting and talking. She could barely speak at that point. And, and I, I, I just told her, uh, it's okay. You can let go if you if you want to, because uh, she was really holding on. She was a fighter. Up to the, to that moment, she was she believed that she's gonna she's she's gonna make it. She was gonna get better. Um, it was pretty obvious that you know even if if she would have somehow miraculously 
survive that point, the damage to her body and maybe to her mind and brain. I don't know. That was incredible. And and two days later, uh, she passed away. Um, and that was that was horrible. That was definitely horrible. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I mean, I can still hear all the pain in uh, in your voice as you recount that, and I'm I'm sure that never ever goes away. I'm so so sorry. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't because I don't know. I, I've I've told the story a lot of times. I'm I'm pretty open about it. I'm <laughs> a lot of times. It's like the third thing I tell people about myself and. They're a bit shocked and like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. What happened? And 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 I'm that. That's wonderful to get that empathy, but in in a lot of ways, um, I guess what time does it doesn't heal. That's a cliche that, <laughs> as a, a grieving person and as a um, psychotherapy professional, um, I I don't. Uh, I don't identify with, I don't think time heals anything. It just changes how you perceive it and how you experience it. And a wound is a wound. It's, it's there. You can, I don't know, treat it differently. But yeah, it's interesting because talking to you right now, maybe because this situation, I don't know, it kind of makes it more... Brings up the pain, the the sorrow, the grief, the, more than usual. Well, I'm really sorry to hear. I mean, that's heartbreaking, and I'm sorry. And I, uh, if you know, we can also, if you want to talk about the Gurkhas, we can talk about the Gurkhas. If you want to tell me, <laughs> it sounds like you got a dog in the background. You can tell me about your dog. Um, oh, but I well, do no. thank you. That's my really good headphones. Yeah, <laughs> neighbors dog. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, they're powerful. But I, I do want to say, like, we, if it's too much, we can always, we legit can just, you can tell me about what it was like to go to Nepal. Um, but I do thank you for trusting me <laughs> with the story thus far. Uh, I appreciate it. I really do. Um, I mean, it's it's part of everything. I, I wouldn't have gone to Nepal. If I hadn't lost my wife, I wouldn't have this kid right now, which is the best thing that ever happened to me. If I hadn't lost my wife, um, and it, it, that does, doesn't justify anything, or doesn't make me feel better about bad things that happened. It just makes me feel, I guess, grateful for. I don't know. For all, all the steps on the way, one thing that I've realized this year um, is that when you lose someone, it's so easy to to be enveloped by that feeling of loss and missing them and noticing what's not there anymore and thinking about what could have been or what what's been lost to you. Um, a different life that you had haven't lived because of that loss. But what I realized this year is that at the same time, none of the things that I have right now wouldn't have happened without, not just without her dying, but without her loving me or me loving her or learning how to love with her and learning how to, you know, find out things about myself that I'm proud of and having her support through a lot of, throughout a lot of years and, and other difficulties. And, and maybe that, that should be, that could be part of the focus of, 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 of grief, not just the loss, but the gains that nobody, nothing can, can take away. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have so many questions um 
if you feel comfortable. Like I said, you, you said this is more painful than you expected. So you let me know. Uh, I'm, I'm learning to, to uh, I wouldn't say embrace pain, but just, you know, it's, a, it's part of everything. Shying away from it is an option. It's acceptable, but not something that I'm, I'm currently choosing to do. So go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I have often found my, version of that too where you go okay I, I just have to I just have to coexist with this I have to stop trying to I have to stop trying to win in some sense and defeat it and just coexist and I, I know that feeling in my own versions of it um, I think it's really when you said you know when you say these things of you know your wife taught you how to be more in touch with yourself how to be in love especially when you said that you know it's I mean, especially for right now, me at this point, Molly, for you going, she passed away, and that's part of why this child is in my life. And I know, yeah, I know the exact feeling of you look at a child. It sounds like you and I both share some version of this, based on on you saying that. Yeah. Where you look at it and you go, "Oh, this is the reason I've been living this whole life was to get to this point where I get to meet you. You're the reason for all this. Oh, wow. You know, like with your child, I wonder, do you, in, in your marriage now and in your relationship with your kid, do you, do you have, I guess it's a weird thing to say, like years after your first wife passed, do you have, like, is, how would I phrase it? Is she involved in your current life, is she? Is this a dialogue you have? Do you do you ever think thank you for helping me get here? Do you ever like? Do you ever look at your wife now and say, "I managed to have this. I managed to fall completely in love twice." And and thank you. Yes. Thank you for helping me <laughs> do that. Oh my God! Yes, you you, you described it so well because because that's one of the things that I was, I realized how lucky I was pretty early on uh, after starting a relationship with my, my, well, she, now she's my wife. She was my girlfriend back then that it's, what are the odds of finding somebody to love from the bottom of your heart and your whole soul, soul and body once in life and doing it twice I think that's the notion of one true love. It's possible, but it's just one true love. And there can also be another one true love. There's more. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I think what, what happened with my first wife is she helped me widen my, my heart and my acceptance and, and my, <laughs> connection to, to life in such a way that my heart was open enough to accept another love after she passed away. Uh, one of the funnier things is um, oh, my current wife, she knew my first wife. Um, oh, wow. Actually visited us in the hosp- hospital once. Um, yeah, we were friends before. Re- not really close, like acquaintances. Um, and we always had this really good chemistry, me and my, my, my current wife. Um, I always thought she was a really cool person. And one of the more amazing things is that when my wife passed away, um, she, this, my current wife was the first person that I thought about when I could start thinking about other women like she was right on my sights i want her mm-hmm. and it didn't happen right away um i went through all these other stuff and i, I <laughs> after a few months i asked her out and she said well uh you're great but you also just lost your wife a few months ago so let's not not go there um, and that was wonderful because if we would have gone out or dated or whatever, it probably wouldn't have worked back then. 
but instead we just became really, really good friends. Um, and we had like friend dates where we would go out and do great things together, but it was platonic. But it's like essentially the same thing you do on a date with, with uh, somebody you were dating, but a lot more fun and no, no strings attached and no expectations. <laughs> um, yeah. And I slowly won her over. Uh, not that I was intending. I, I, that was also a great thing. I, I just let it go. It's like, okay, not happening. Let's just enjoy what we have. And even though I still, I was into her, I was okay with it never happening. And then it happened. I mean, what are the odds, Chris, of, of, or not the odds of how, how many times in life do you really want something and not get it and be okay with not getting it? And then in the end, getting it, like, by surprise. Like, I really wanted to get this job or something. And, and you know, and I applied and they said, well, um, you're, you're great, but I don't think it fits right now. And we'll be in touch. And then like a few months later, they call you and say, you know what? You got it. You're yeah, in. that is, that is rare. That is yeah. rare. And beautiful in its own right. And I wonder, yeah. because your wife was friends with your first wife and, and understood the entire timeline, the, under, the entire experience, Yeah, saw you going through that pain. I might be phrasing this in a weird way, but in your current marriage, does your... Does your wife now almost have any sort of relationship to your first wife? If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know what you're talking about. Um, I was afraid of that, actually. Of Well, not the relationship part, but what... When you're a widower, um, there's... And... and your your significant other passed away uh, when you were still loving each other and in a good relationship and expecting to stay together forever or <laughs> for at least how long you, you get. Um, there's always this, this thought of, of what kind of shadow that casts on uh, a new relationship. Um, like what, what's her presence there? Is she like going to be a ghost? that's haunting us and always a source of comparison and whatever. And, and that never actually really happened to us. Probably, maybe in a sense, because she was, uh, she, they knew each other. And, and she was there for me throughout the grief mostly and, and, and the loss and everything. And, um, and as a friend, like she, she was able to support me and empathize with me and, and see my pain. So I guess that was less of, of uh, less intimidating for her. Um, but I, we talked about that, what you asked about. And, and it's not, it wasn't simple or easy for her at the start because I was really into my grief and I was, I would still talk about my first wife and, and, and miss her. And, and it's an amazing thing that to, to be able to be with, a woman that you love and tell her how much you miss another woman that you love and for her to be supportive of that. Carl's wife hears this. Huge kudos to you for being understanding and empathetic and kind and open. Beautiful, beautiful thing. All right, I've broken up the momentum. Let's take our second break. It, everybody the breaks are over let's go ahead let's finish off the phone call and tell her how much you miss another woman that you love and for her to be supportive of that and and to comfort you and not be well a, a little intimidated i guess but not to the degree that it affects your relationship also, I have to give credit to my wife that she's a super, super emotionally intelligent person and 
and sensitive and 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 giving and loving and and I'm sure that allows her to to cope with that complexity. Uh, but also, it changes over time. I mean, you get you get you're, you're together for for a while, and, and it becomes more about you and less about what's what's been and gone. Especially when you have a kid. Do you ever think about how much you expect your your son to know about your first wife? Yeah, yeah, I thought about that. I mean, right now he's turning he 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 hasn't caught the grasp of of, uh, of, of naming colors yet. <laughs> Same. Um, he knows blue. It's yeah. like, dude, there's so many others. He knows red and orange, and every color that I ask him. Red. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I pick up this blue thing. What's this color? Red. No, it's not red. It's blue. I, I'm starting to, to be a little worried. Maybe he's colorblind. I don't know. I'm having the same thought. Like having the same thought. Listen, we gotta get, we'll get a play date someday. Me and Cal will yeah. fly to Israel or you'll fly here. And we'll just say to these kids, can you just discuss the colors? Because between the two of you, maybe you can hash them all out. Yeah. And come on, he's great. He knows so much. What's oh. the problem with colors? He can name so many animals right? and the sounds they make. He's a genius. Yes. But we I guess I, I'm trying not to put any pressure on him at all to do or know or be anything at all in his life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling myself that. But at the same time, you can't help um I don't know, wanting stuff for him. But but I'll answer your question. Um I, I, I put some thought into how and when I'll tell him about her. And I know I will. My dad died around a year and a half ago, I guess, something like that. And we have a picture of him in the living room. And right now we're, we're, we're always talking about the family and everybody in the family. And, and we include my dad because he's part of my family. And he only got to know my son for about a month before he passed away. Um, but he's going to be part of his life. And I, I, I was thinking, I mean, my first wife, she is an indelible part of me. She, you can't disconnect. And I want my son to know as much about me as he's interested to know. And if I get my wish and he is interested in my life or interested in stuff generally, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell him about her. And I, I, I am a firm believer in com- like open communication and not hiding anything from, well, I'll be more accurate, um, being able to speak about everything. That includes, um, I don't know, sex and death and, and any other subject that is some people still consider taboo mm-hmm. for children to know about or, or speak about. But there's so much more damage in, um, in hiding things or, or concealing, not, not exposing and, 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 and bringing things out to light to be discussed together than in, in, in talking about it. Um, and I want him to know whatever he wants to know. So I'll let him know about it at some point. And if he has more questions, I'll be there. And if he doesn't, I'll always be ready to, to talk more. Now, you mentioned yeah. that you're a psychotherapy professional. And first of all, thank you for that. On behalf of people like me who need psychotherapy <laughs> professionals, I mean, I did a whole HBO special about how much I love my my uh, my weird shrink, which I know some doctors don't like being <laughs> called shrinks. I'm sorry about that. But I, I've always wondered this. I've always wondered this. You are trained. You've been to school. You have a degree that gives you permission to go out there 
and help other people. And and I think any psychotherapy professional, you're specifically helping a lot of people reconcile trauma, reconcile grief. Mm-hmm. And I always wonder, people on your side of the couch, you deal with all those things too. And it has to be so frustrating to go, I have been taught all the methodologies on how to process this, how to help people move on ideally. And then you sit there and you go, but I still have every right to feel my own grief. And I don't, I'm not ready to move on. And it's messing me up in a way other people tell me it messes them up and I'm the one who helps them. That's gotta be frustrating. Um, maybe a little bit, but uh, well, maybe I'm, I'm talking with perspective and I think when you're you're dealing with stuff online, like when it's happening, you have bigger issue, bigger fish to fry than <laughs> why was I not prepared for this when I was supposed to be? Um, but looking at it, looking back at it, or, or taking some perspective, it's a huge lesson in humility. Um, I'm I don't know anything more than my patients do. That's my approach. I, I don't think that because I was trained or I went to school or I have knowledge uh, that's specific to, to helping people, that makes me um, more knowledgeable about what they're experiencing. It makes me better equipped to, to I don't know, help them find out what's going on and maybe how to, to, to find ways to deal with it and, and make their lives better. Uh, but it just, it, it really teaches you. It, it doesn't matter how much you know and learn. Life happens and you deal with it. And it, I think it really helps me empathize with my patients that, you know, are going through horrible stuff. And almost all my patients do. I'm, I'm Right now, I, I just started a month ago treating uh, people with chronic pain. Um, that's, that's a really horrible experience. And having gone through my own horrible experiences, which are different and non-comparable, but being in that spot where you're, you know, helpless and confused and you have no idea what's the next thing. I, I think, I hope it makes me... Better therapist, at least recognizing that. Um, I would imagine, and I, I also have to bet, as you say that, that there's probably a lot of patients who sit there and go, "Okay, I sense that you have some scars, and that means that I can let my guard down a little bit because you get it. In some way, you get it." Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's this whole thing in in in. Uh, in psychology and psychotherapy about self-disclosure. Like when, when do you use your life as a tool in therapy? Like this happened to me and this is how I dealt with it or, or whatever. And it's really fine line because you don't want to make it about yourself. It's never about me. It's, you know, at best it's about us. It's about the, the two people or, or more in their room, but never about me as a as person. Um, but I mean, I think it it goes more for, for what I said that if I, I know what going through loss and trauma and pain is, then that sensitivity shows up somewhere. And even if I don't say anything about myself that private, which can, I think the danger is that it could be distracting. And you don't want to give the patient or the person that you're working, I don't like that word patient, but whatever, the person that you're working with, um, the sense that, you know, there's something more important or more urgent to deal with right now than what they're going through. Um, well, I mean, your, your shit, or, sorry, Sally, your, your stuff is, uh, is more important. But, um, but they, I guess maybe they know, yeah. Maybe they can tell even without saying it. I can't believe how thoughtful you are and how open you are and, and uh, 
willing to just, willing to just lay it all out there because it's a it's a really sad story. It's the type of thing that nobody expects to go through. It's you, you wouldn't wish it upon anyone. And uh, yeah. hearing about how your past, it's almost this really strange and kind of beautiful thing you've been able to lay out, which is almost like your first wife represents this defining thing from your past. And then your current wife eased into being your present. And now you have this son who represents the future. Yeah. And you have this... <laughs> I would imagine you have a perspective on the past and the present and the future that, that it, 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 that I won't, you know, I mean, ideally that I won't ever know. It, it must really make you think about those things differently. Mm. Well, now you say it like that, it does. Uh, I don't know if differently, maybe deeply. Mm. But I mean, yeah, I'm I'm uh, like a here and now guy. I'm into Buddhist practice, and I'm I'm actually studying uh, Buddhist psychology right now. Hence um, Nepal. Well, yeah, connected. Yeah, I guess in a way. Uh, I started there, like in India, really started, but went on through through there to Nepal and other other places. Actually, I spent like eight days in a monastery in Northeast Thailand when I was on that trip. And I ended up shaving my eyebrows, like shaving all the head on my, my face, all the hair on my face. And uh, that's what you do. <laughs> and then like two days afterwards, I came back home. And my, my current wife and I, we, uh, we decided we're going to try this like the day after I got back for my trip so I really credit her with with going through with it with a guy that didn't have any eyebrows <laughs> I mean that would be a deal breaker for a lot of women I guess <laughs> well that's how you know okay. alright she's all in she's <laughs> she's thought really hard about all, all the complicated sides of this and I threw one last curveball this is real okay <laughs> okay yeah yeah um and I'm thinking maybe I'll, I'll get that look back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have tragically light eyebrows as it is. And people have often said to me, why don't you have eyebrows? So I'm sort of permanently there. <laughs> and my hair is going away. So I'll be bald in a year or two. And at that point, I guess I'll just... Really? I, I think so. Although I recently asked a barber, should I shave it? He said, no, you, you got a lot of time before you need to do the total shave. But I guess at some point then I'll just, maybe I'll just say, yeah, I converted to Buddhism and uh, that's what it's about. Yeah. Maybe I should convert to Buddhism. I've always respected Buddhism greatly. Uh, one of the greater things about Buddhism, nobody's asking you to convert to anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're just like, hey man, it's, it's all good. Like you want to be what you want to be. Great. This is what we think. Check it out. Uh, if it seems like it works for you, makes sense of stuff. Great. Use it. If it doesn't do your own, do your own stuff. I mean, that's the essence. That's what I love about it. Nobody's saying like, this is it. This is the way it is. There's no other truth or other perspective. It feels like a gentle suggestion that if it works for you and it helps you cope with complexity of life and, and everything around it and maybe make your life better and hopefully make other people's lives better. Great. No pressure. You know, I love Buddhism for everything you just described. I love the Sikh religion because you can go to any Sikh temple in the world and they'll yeah. feed you if you're hungry. And I love the Quakers oh because God. they helped run the Underground Railroad. And those are the three religions where I look at them and go, I have no, I can't, I look at those and none of them have to do, I guess, so, I guess they are defined by right the actual religious aspects, but they're all just human aspects. And I look at those coming from a Catholic background where you go, Catholicism does have a lot of good about it, but also for thousands of years, it's a religion that's, I mean, started wars and, and obviously so much abuse that's still being uncovered. And I go, well, there's so much to be conflicted about there. And then I, I look at those religions. I go, oh, the Sikhs, they'll feed you. They feed you when you're hungry. Yeah, It's beautiful. 
It's beautiful. I, I went to the largest uh, dining hall, mess hall, whatever in the world in uh, India. I can't remember the name of the city. Probably people are going to be in the comments like, it's called that. <laughs> uh, where it's the, cent- it's the Golden Temple, the center of the Sikh religion. And they have, like, they feed tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people every day. And it's just like a, a, a conveyor belt of food. You sit there and you get, they put food on your plate and you eat it and you have to finish the whole plate. And they, they keep putting on more food. And you have like, I, I don't remember how much, maybe 15, 20 minutes or something. And you have to finish everything. Like if you don't finish your plate, they don't let you get up. Wow. And yeah. And only after you finish your plate, you're gone and you go out and they're in the next line of people. And it's open 24 seven. Oh, what lovely, and, lovely people. I'm, sh- I'm sure there's things that yeah. have happened in its history that people will let me know. Hey, think about this too. But just on that level, a religion where... You know, you think about so much of the politics of today, and then you go, okay, one of the basic, most visible pegs of this religion, nobody should ever go hungry. Boom. Yes. Let's go with that. Can we all just go with that, please? Yeah, it started from this guy who, this guy, probably people are going to be <laughs> angry about that. But this guy, I can't remember his name, who said like, well, uh, uh, these Hindus and Muslims, they're fighting each other all the time. And we can't you know, like coexist like this. So we're not coexisting. So what are we going to do? And probably, I mean, I'm not a Sikh. I'm not going to say anything about the religion like I know anything. But uh, the end point was like, okay, so let's just take it as, as a, a basic fact that there's just one God and he's every God. And... He is, or he or she, I don't know how they identify. Um, and every faith in the world, every religion is directed at this deity. And so we're all in this together. It's like we all believe in the same thing. Maybe I should convert um, to Sikhism. You get to carry a ceremonial blade. That, w- that would help with the balding, probably. Oh, yeah, you cover it up. Because they, they have the head. Yep. But I have a sad inability to grow facial hair, so that might be a deal breaker. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. Now, you and I have 30 Catchy seconds beard. left. And I just want to say oh, again, no. thanks for trusting me with all this and opening up. And, and I think it's going to mean a lot to people. And I'm so bad at talking to people in person. And th- I'll tell you something. <laughs> I don't think it's a compliment I've ever given on this show. This conversation, how you and I have been able to be laid back, talk about serious stuff, then talk about tangential stuff, it makes me wish I was better at starting conversations in person. Because I feel like if you and I ever met in a bar and stumbled into this, we could talk for five more hours and I'd never get bored. <laughs> I, I, uh, well, when, I'll tell you what, we'll set the play date, we'll let the kids play together and we'll go to a bar and, and sit and talk oh. for five hours. When COVID is gone and we can live in a world where things like that are actually possible, hey, you want to that idea? Hey, you want to team up, hire a babysitter together, and just go grab a drink and 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 shoot the shit? Ah, oh. I hope for for you and for everybody that we'll see those times as soon as possible. Likewise, likewise, and um, thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, thank you, thank you. For, I think on behalf of all of us, thank you for teaching us about how life works and how it can get real and how love works and how dealing dealing with, you know. I think one of the beautiful things about what you showed me is you can deal with the past and that that phrase of moving on is kind of a fallacy that you coexist. And uh, thank you. Moving with. Moving with, not moving on, moving with. Beautiful, beautiful. Caller. Honestly, thank you. I know I thanked you at the end very sincerely and you heard it, but honestly, that that was not only a story um, that you shared, but also a lot of philosophy and a lot of methodology about how you dealt with that story in, in a way that I think will help people 
in similar situations and will also just help all of us. So thank you. And thank you to Anita Flores. Thank you to Jared O'Connell. Thank you to Shell Shag. Thank you to Jordan Allen. More about me at chrisgeth.com. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, subscribe. Hit follow on Spotify. Hit favorite on Stitcher. Can't tell you how much it helps when you do those things. If you want our entire back catalog without ads, stitcherpremium.com slash stories for more details. Thanks so much for listening.